0: Is making others happy making you miserable?
1: We need to realize that sometimes we're draining our very souls because we're chasing this people pleasing or chasing being liked and instead we need to know when to say yes and how to say no and make sure we're doing what God calls us to, which does not drain our souls. It actually energizes us and it makes us feel that we're doing our part.
0: Welcome to Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Today, author and speaker Karen Eamon will join us to talk about breaking the pattern of people-pleasing so you can live confidently.
2: You'll find her latest book is our featured resource at fivelovelanguages.com titled When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. Just go to 5lovelanguages.com. Gary, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Have you ever struggled with people pleasing?
3: You know, Chris, I think there's a sense in which most people, especially Christians, because we want to serve people. You know, we have that concept. And I think sometimes we can uh, begin to sense like, you know, if I don't serve everybody that comes along my path, I'm not pleasing God Uh so I, I just, you know, I think different personalities, of course, have a greater struggle with that, but I think everybody to a, in, in a, to a degree, yes. uh, especially Christians, I think, uh, have, have that sense of, I've got to do this, I've got to do this for them, you know, and, and and consequently, sometimes you omit things that are more important in your life. So I'm excited yes. about this conversation today. I am too,
2: but you didn't answer my question, so I'm going to push you on this. Pastors
1: <laughs> <laughs> pastors
2: can get into that unless I'm serving everybody, every need that comes to me. And if you've got a congregation, uh, you know, of any size, even if you have a small congregation, you can't meet everybody's need, Right.
3: Yeah and it's I think it's more of a struggle with a small congregation because I do remember way back when I pastored a little church of about a hundred people, you know preaching every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night doing all the funerals, all the weddings, all the hospital visits. <laughs> Yeah, you, you could have the you sense that the whole thing's dependent on me, because I ran the bulletin, too, for Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I did know You're bringing know back that. memories now I haven't yes. thought about it in years, Chris. <laughs> were they
2: Were they using the mimeograph machine at that point? I, yes, <laughs>
3: I think that's what it was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you learn something new with Gary Chapman every time. And you know what? I, we say on the program he is a New York Times bestselling author. Our guest is a New York Times bestselling author, too. Her name is Karen Eamon. She's a Proverbs 31 ministry speaker and a writer for Encouragement for Today, which is an online devotional that reaches more than 4 million people every day. She's written 17 books, including Keep It Shut!, Pressing Pause and Keep Showing Up. I love those titles. Karen's passion is to help women live their priorities as they reflect the gospel to a watching world. She's married to her college sweetheart, Todd, and she's the mother of three, mom-in-law of two. Our featured resource, as I mentioned, is When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. You can find out more at 5lovelanguages.com.
3: Well, Karen, welcome to Building Relationships.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's a delight to be here.
3: Let's begin with a little bit about you and your family and your writing. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with you, who is Karen Eamon?
1: Well, I live in Michigan, right in the middle of the mitten. We Michiganders always have our maps with us. We can just hold up our <laughs> hand and point to the middle. Right. I like to think of us as America's high five. But I've All lived right. in Michigan my whole life and married to my college sweetheart. And we have three adult children, two by marriage. Uh, although sometimes I forget which or which. I just like to say I'm a mom of five now, which is wonderful and fun. And I do speak and write for Proverbs 31 Ministries and I just love encouraging people. I love uh, antique hunting and I love the Detroit Tigers. How's that?
3: All right. All right. Well, you are a self proclaimed people pleaser. Tell us what you mean by that and why trying to make others happy often backfires.
1: Well, I have struggled with people pleasing all my life. You know, it began when I was young in elementary school. I wanted to make sure that my teachers were happy with my grades and my behavior. I'm quite the rule follower. And I didn't ever want to rock the boat. I wanted to make sure my peers liked me. And that only got worse the older I got into middle school and high school and college. And I kind of fell into this pattern of just feeling like I was responsible for everybody's happiness. I stopped, uh, or I, I never learned how to, to say no. I just started this pattern of always saying yes to people. And in some way, I feel like it just, it it made me feel important. It made me feel needed. And I just didn't like the feeling of disappointing someone or upsetting them or angering them. And so I just never let it happen. But it became a struggle that that really was threatening to not only make me miserable, but to affect my health as well. So I knew I had to do something about it.
3: Yeah. I can imagine that a lot of our listeners are identifying with what you have just said, and they're thinking about themselves. So uh, I know they want to hear the rest of the story. So uh, how did you realize that something needed to change in your life?
1: Well, about three and a half years ago, I was in a season of sorrow. My father had just passed away. But it was also a season of excitement. Our first child was getting married. We were moving to a new town, a town we moved to, to be closer to my my father and my stepmom and my mother, who all lived in that town. And I was still saying yes to everything and keeping everybody happy. And it was really a simple request that came my way from my best friend from college. She wanted to know if I would help her with something that summer. And inside my head, everything in, within me was saying don't do it. Say no, say no. But of course I opened my mouth and out tumbled the word I am used to saying so often. Yes. And I hung up the phone. I knew I had answered wrongly. I went out to the fire pit at the back of our property and I just sat there and bawled. And I thought, I have got to stop this. I've got to stop Mm. saying yes to everything. And in the next few days, um, knowing that I'd made the wrong decision, but too chicken to call her back, I started having some physical things happen. I I couldn't sleep. My left eye was twitching. And so I knew that these physical manifestations were screaming at me that I needed Mm -hmm. to stop this pattern of behavior.
3: Yeah, yeah. So you decided to make a major change, a life reset. Uh, Tell us about the, quote, summer of necessary and no.
1: Yeah, so this uh, time was at the very beginning of Uh, summer, it was almost Memorial Day. And as I took a few days to stew about it, and then make the right decision and pray about it and talk to my husband about it, I realized that I needed to do something. And I really felt like God was calling me to a season for me that was a summer of necessary and no. And what I mean by that is that I was to do only what was necessary for my family, my home, and my ministry, my job. And I was to say no to everything else for three months, even if it was something simple, Gary, like making cookies for the toddler class at church. You know, I'd been doing this since I became a Christian at the age of 16. I'd been saying yes to everything, especially at church and with friends and neighbors. And I knew that I needed to pull back and just clear my, my schedule clear my responsibilities just for three months to give myself and my, my soul a little time to rest. So for three months, I backed out of everything and I didn't take on anything new.
0: This is Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Karen Eman is joining us today, author of When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. Find out more about it at 5lovelanguages.com.
3: Karen, in our last summit, you mentioned uh, responding to things that people ask you to do at church. Let's talk about that a little bit, people-pleasing and the church. Uh, you know, as Christians, aren't we supposed to get along with others and be considerate and try to help them and do everything, <laughs> everything we can to help them? How did you put those two together?
1: Yeah, you know, really when I think about people-pleasing, especially when it comes to being a Christian, it's almost like it's a strength that gets carried to an extreme. And now it becomes, well, we don't say the word weakness in our house. We call them (laughs) non-strengths. Now it's a (laughs) non-strength. So when you think about us as believers, you know, we're supposed to love. We're supposed to lay down our lives for others. We're supposed to serve and help. And all of those things are wonderful when it's truly God- providing the opportunity for us to love and serve and help. And it's not us doing it just because we feel like we're expected to, or because we feel like we want everyone to like us, or we don't want to get a response from someone that shows that they're upset with us or they're a little, you know, angry or whatever. I feel like we are sometimes doing a lot of the right things, but we're doing them for the wrong reason. Of course Mm -hmm. we want to love and serve and play our role in the body of Christ, but we don't have to do everything. Every single need is not necessarily our call. We need to make sure we're only responding to the ones that are ours to do.
3: Yeah, and that's sometimes hard to, <laughs> to navigate, isn't it? Uh, figuring out what that is. Mm-hmm. As you uh, realigned your life and began to say no, uh, how difficult was that? I mean, did you catch yourself saying yes? You know, even after you those three months that you uh, made that commitment.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the first probably two or three weeks was so strange and so hard because I was used to just being involved in everything and being the center of everything and helping with everything. And when I started to back out of some things, I started to free up some time and I started to realize that the world can go on without me. I don't, I have to mm-hmm. always be helping with everything, but I'm going to say it honestly, it felt very strange, but after a while, there was this this sense of calm that came over me and and i no longer felt like i had this frenzy in my in my soul of oh i've got help oh so and so had a baby i got to take a meal you know i just really would go to the lord first rather than just do what i thought was expected to me i would go to the lord and say am i to help or you know am i to just set sit this one out for the first time in a long time it was strange but the calm that came to my soul was something that had been missing from my life for for a really long time.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. What's the difference between being a people pleaser and being a God pleaser?
1: Well, you know, they're not always mutually exclusive. There are sometimes, yes, our pleasing another person is pleasing to God, but it all comes down to the motive. Why are we doing it? Are we doing it to either elicit a response from someone we want them to like us, we want them to think we're capable or we're compassionate or we're competent, or are we doing it to prevent a response? We don't want them to be upset. We don't want them to be disappointed. We don't want them to be sad. When we are truly doing something because we feel God calling us to, and we are doing it for him, and as a result, the other person is pleased, then those line up and those are okay. But it's when those two things are in opposition to each other and we know that our saying yes is not what God is calling us to do. In fact, he's been calling us to slow down. But we say mm-hmm. yes anyway. That's when, when those two are in opposition to each other.
3: Yeah, yeah. Now, you had to face some internal fears in the process of relinquishing you know, this people-pleasing. Uh, what fears did you have?
1: Well, with my outgoing personality and people loving ways, honestly, one of them was I just had that, you know, they call it FOMO, F O M O, the fear of missing out. When I wasn't involved in everything, I thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to be the center of that activity or at that, you know, function. And I didn't like that. I thought, oh, I'm going to really miss this for my life. But I found out that wasn't the case necessarily. Sometimes I, I actually ended up liking the extra time that it created in my schedule. I feared, upsetting people. I feared disappointing people. I feared sometimes angering them. And I don't mean in a way that's unhealthy where you need to get help, but just kind of making them ticked off at me. And I sometimes I felt feel like with people pleasing, sometimes we're afraid of having to explain ourselves further. So sometimes we make it seem like we think A, when really we think B, and we just kind of let it go. Because if they really knew me, thought B, they might ask us to explain ourselves further, especially if it's a hot topic or a political issue. So I think there's a lot of different fears that are wrapped up in the reasons that we people please.
3: Now, you speak a lot uh, to women. Uh, You think women have more trouble with this than men or not?
1: You know, I think sometimes it's because we're women and we're expected to do a lot of things, not only outside the home, but in the home. And so we have a lot of different things we have to juggle. And we feel like we have to make sure that, you know, everybody's happy and everybody's taken care of. But I really think it's almost based more in personality, because I know some women who do not at all, like my daughter, 100%. She's 30 years old. She does not at all struggle with people pleasing. But I know That I have a son that does. So Hmm. sometimes I think it's it's based on our roles and what's expected of us as men and women. But a a lot more, I think, it's really our personalities.
3: Yeah, you know, I I tend to lean in that direction as well. I think personality has a tremendous impact on that. And of course, you know, personality it's difficult to understand sometimes. (laughs) There's so many Mm -hmm. segments to that, you know, but uh, yeah, I I do agree. I think men uh, can do, can be people pleasers just as much as women. At least that's my perspective, my observation. Yeah.
1: And I, and I also think it's not always the same personality type. Some people are helpers and they, people Mm -hmm. please because they want to help. You know, some people are peacemakers and they people please because they don't want to rock the boat they want everybody to be happy and some people are perfectionists and to them perfect is when there's no drama in your life and everybody likes you you know so it's not always the same personality type but there are different facets of our personalities that that tempt us to to be a people pleaser.
2: Well, you can get in here with birth order too. And and the firstborn middle child, you know, the young child. I wonder, Gary, if if you've ever thought about this with the love languages, for example, if you have acts of service as your love language and you are at some event and nobody's cleaning up afterwards, you know, (laughs) you might jump in because you feel that that's what your love language is. Do you think that uh, comes in here as well?
3: I think it could, Chris. Yeah. Because if that's your love language, then you tend to speak it to other people. And consequently, there's always things to do. <laughs> I don't care where you are. There's always things that need to be done. And so, yeah, I think there could be a parallel there that a person who has quality time necessarily wouldn't be as likely to jump in and overload themselves, perhaps, because they were. They They enjoy more, you know, extended time with one person rather than doing several things for several people. So, yeah,
2: I think you're right. A lot of layers to this whole thing. We're talking with Karen Eamon today on building relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman. The uh, featured resource is her book, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable. I love that title. How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. You can find out more at 5lovelanguages.com. Just go to 5lovelanguages.com.
3: So Karen, when you quit trying to make everyone else happy, some people weren't too thrilled about that. Uh, And you (laughs) described some of this in a chapter entitled Pushers, Powders, Guilt Bombers, and Others (laughs) Who Try to Call the Shots. Uh, Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, just as we were mentioning that sometimes people-pleasing is based on our personality, sometimes the people who are Tempting Us to People, Please, they have their own set of personalities, too. And um, I kind of categorized them as I looked over my life and the types of people I had the most trouble with. And the, the first are the pushers. They're the ones that are kind of dominant and a little bit bossy. And you don't like that feeling of being backed in a corner and being pushed to do something. So you just kind of give in and do what they want. The pushers get their way by stomping their feet but the second category is the powders. They don't stomp their feet, they drop their smile. And so you don't want to contribute to their sadness, especially if there's somebody who truly has been a victim in life. And they've got a lot of other things in their life that are disappointing to them, or that just didn't turn out the way they'd hoped. And there's a lot of sadness in their life. Well, you don't want to contribute it to their sadness. And you know, if you say no to them, they're going to drop their smile. Well, then you tend to give in. There's also guilt bombers. You know, I'm sure we all can think of that person in our life that makes us feel guilty, whether it's overtly or kind of subtly, you know, just kind of reading between the lines they're They're kind of dropping a guilt bomb on us to get us to do what they want us to do. And then the category that I really saw the most in my life, it's, I just made up a term for them. I don't know, you probably could help me with it. Um, What's the the right term to use, but I call them the me first maximizers. And those are the people that on the surface, they seem very delightful and helpful. They can even be, you know, really um, hardworking and pleasant. But whenever there's a situation where somebody has to do more work or spend more money, or, uh, you know, get the, the smaller piece of the pie, uh, they make sure that it's never them. They can somehow mm. finagle things so that they always come out on top and you always get the short end of the stick. And those were the people that I had the hardest time with. I call them the me first maximizers. Mm-hmm.
3: I wonder if uh, our listeners, as they hear that, uh, see themselves falling in some of those, <laughs> one of those categories. <laughs> because let's face it, though, I mean, those are pretty common things, right? People that push you, the kind of bossy, and, and, and those that will just kind of pout, you know, kind of withdraw and pout. Uh, yeah, and then make you feel guilty. I have a sense some of us are identifying with this. <laughs> now, smartphones. Smartphones allow us to demand attention every minute of the day, as if you will allow them to. So how do you stick to your priorities when people can have access to you all day long, every day?
1: Yeah, having this age of digital in our lives has really only complicated things because you know just think about it. Back in the day, when you and I were both younger, we probably had a landline in our home, right? So yes. if I wanted to get if I wanted to get a hold of you, I had to call your landline and it wasn't even outfitted with a answering machine yet. Let's go back that far. So yep. if I didn't get you, you didn't pick up, the responsibility was on me to continue to contact you until I got you to pick up. Well, things are so different now. Now people have a myriad of ways that they can contact us. They can shoot us a text, leave us a direct message on social media, leave us a voicemail, send us an email. And I almost feel like people are putting things on my to-do list that I never asked for, nor gave permission, especially like in the mornings. I, I keep my phone plugged in, in the kitchen, but when I walk out there in the morning and I take it out of airplane mode. Dozens of things do their daily dance down from the top of my screen. And it's like somebody has taken the pencil out of my hand when I'm writing my to-do list on my old-fashioned legal pad, like I like to do. And they've written things on my list, you know, send me this link. Hey, give me that recipe. Hey, I need you to do this. And the burden's now on us to get back and either say, okay, or to say no way. And so Because they can contact us and they feel like they have instant access to us, everyone thinks, boy, if I text them, they're going to text me right back. It's really kind of made this whole temptation to people, please, even harder than it used to be in the past. Yeah.
3: So how have you figured out (laughs) to to handle that? Because I'm identified with what you're saying right now. Okay. How do you you select uh, who to respond to or how do you handle that?
1: Well, it's hard because, again, I think people feel like you have instant access to the phone. And especially if they're somebody who's never without their phone and they respond immediately to people, they find it very strange when you don't. So I've learned even though I might have time to respond to somebody's text message, I won't. I'll wait. I try to return text messages in the evening. And so people are kind of getting the the hint that, yeah, I might text her at 11 a.m., but I might not hear back from her until after the workday is done. So I think yeah. we need to just start setting up some patterns so people know what to expect.
3: Yeah. Otherwise, really, I mean, it can be just moment by moment you're getting texts or some kind of messages that if you just respond to them, that'd be all you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, this is, this is uh, I think, touching a lot of us. Now, you came to recognize that you are a, what you call a fabulous fibber. Tell us about that and how you overcame it.
1: Yeah, I was sitting in church one Sunday morning, and I usually love sitting at my church. <laughs> but the pastor kind of wandered off on a tangent and was talking about people-pleasing, and he made the statement, just kind of off the cuff. He said, you know, people-pleasers, they often lie. And I'm telling you, I felt like those spotlights that were normally shining on the stage <laughs> where the the worship <laughs> band was or the pastor was suddenly had drop-swiveled, and they were shining at me, and everybody knew he was talking about me, because I thought of how many times I shade the truth, I dress it up a little bit, I, you know, fudge or fib just a little, because I feel like it's for a good reason, like I don't want to hurt someone's feelings, or I don't want to upset them. But I had to come to the reality in this whole journey of learning to break free from the prison of people pleasing, that a lot of the time, there was some dishonesty to my people-pleasing. I was saying what someone else wanted to hear rather than what I truly felt, and that's being deceptive.
3: Yeah, yeah. Now, how did this affect your family, you know, and your home? You began pulling back on people-pleasing, and uh, how'd your husband respond to this? How'd your children react to this?
1: Well, my husband very sweetly Kind of said, it's about time, <laughs> you know, because he had known for years. You know, he would see me hang up the phone sometimes, you know, even years ago when my children were little and I'd said yes to something else. And he'd go, How in the world are you going to find time to do that? And I'm like, Well, but they need help and I really like them. They're a new friend at church and it'll be okay. And I just kept feeling like I could keep piling things on my plate. I never thought to remove anything from my plate before I took something new on. Or to say, no, I don't want that new thing on my plate because I was so sure that I was so clever and capable that if I just rearranged everything on the plate, somehow it would all fit. So my wow. husband, he was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're finally seeing this because this has been an issue for a long time. He's he's pretty laid back and not a pusher in my face. So he kind of lets me learn my own lessons like he does with our kids. Our kids were over the moon happy because honestly you know, and I don't want to cry about it, but it makes me want to cry. There were so many times I was saying yes to things outside my four walls, just so someone Mm -hmm. would like me just so, you know, they would think I was all that in a bag of chips. And I was saying no to my children and I was putting them on the back burner to run off and save the world. And it was very eye opening to me that I had been doing that. I didn't realize it. I thought, I'll They'll understand, hey, I'm modeling a life of ministry before them, right? But mm-hmm. they all were like, Mom, we're so glad that you're not overextending yourself anymore and you have more time to be present here with us.
0: Our program is Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman. You can find us online at fivelovelanguages.com. You'll see our featured resource there, the book by Karen Eman, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life find it at fivelovelanguages.com.
2: Karen, as I'm listening to you tell your story and I love what you said your your family, how they responded to you. They were seeing this. I think the the phrase you used a minute ago, the prison of people pleasing. The hard part of this whole thing is that the prison is not made by somebody else. It's our own choices the the bars are up there, but the the good part of that is that we have the power to simply by saying no to pull those bars down right
1: Yeah I like to think of the uh, image of you know we're in this prison of people pleasing we're trapped inside we're like, how can I get out? how can I get out? If we just look down in our hand, we hold the key we've got the key but we're just not using it. We're not using it. We just keep saying yes. We keep pleasing everybody. We keep thinking, you know, everyone's happiness is our job. And we don't realize that we hold the key and we can bust out of that prison of people pleasing with God's help, of course, but it starts with us.
3: Yeah. Chris, you mentioned earlier pastors, you know, and I talked about uh, my early days in the pastorate. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times in my counseling office wives of pastors have said to me things like, my husband has a mistress Mm. and i come shocked and she says, it's the church. You know, she feels that he gives more importance to the church and pleasing the people in the church than he does her. Uh, And Karen, you were just talking about how that works in the family, you know, with your children. But I think pastors can identify with this. There's a huge temptation to come across that way, that we respond yes to everybody in the church, and and ignore our our spouse, and sometimes we say, well, you know, it's my job. I mean, I have to do this. You know, well, listen, the pastor chooses <laughs> what he does. <laughs> you know, as you said, the, the keys in our hands, right? We we choose what we what we do, what we don't do.
2: And the corollary that adds to that, Gary, is all of this is theological in its, in its construct. And we, I think everything's theological in some way or another. But, Karen, answer that question. If, if I believe it's all on me and I act as if I, it's all on me, then I don't allow God to be the person that, that can come alongside somebody else who's struggling. I don't allow God's sovereign hand to to reach out because I feel like it's all, I'm sovereign. That's hard Mm -hmm. to see, isn't
3: it?
1: Yeah, but you're exactly right. We kind of take the place of God. We think we can be everywhere and know everything and do everything. And that's, that's really his job, not ours. Yeah.
3: Well, you're right. And I'm quoting here, we teach others how to treat us. Expand on that.
1: That's actually something a friend of mine said to me probably 10 years ago when she realized that I was uh, quite the people pleaser and she was trying to help me out. And she made a statement to me one day. I know it's not original to her. Somebody famous once upon a time probably said it, but she said a statement. She said, you know, Karen, you teach people how to treat you. And I said, what? And she said, I'm just making an observation. You teach them how to treat you by what you allow, what you don't allow, by how quickly you respond, by how often you say yes. And it's true. I mean, I bet All of us on this call or listening uh, to us talk here can think of somebody in our life that, if I said to you, "I'm going to give you a hundred dollars if you text somebody in your contact list and they text you immediately back," we all know who we would text, right? That person Hmm. that always responds right away. And on the other hand, if I were to say, "Okay, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars if you," text somebody that doesn't respond for a day or two. I can think in my mind who in my family rarely responds for a couple days. And guess what? Both of those people have done. They've taught me how to treat them. Hmm. If I need something right away, I'm going to go to person A, the first person, because they're going to right away respond. But I'm not going to go to that second person because if I need something right now, and I'm not talking about a dire need, like I was just in a car accident, but If I need, say, all my family was talking about uh, some movie this weekend, and they all remember the name of it, and I can't remember the name of it, and I want to know, I know I'm not going to text one son because he rarely responds to his text messages. He's taught (laughs) me he's not going to get back to me. I know I'm going to go to the other son, who has a lifestyle where he can have his phone with him more often, and he tends to text right back. So we do by our behavior. We teach people how to treat us and they push the envelope with us because guess what? We've let them do that in the past.
3: And so that's why they're going to be shocked when we change our behavior, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're going to say, wait a minute. She always responds. What's wrong? Is she sick? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. How does enforcing boundaries, and this is somewhat of what we're talking about. how, How does enforcing boundaries work in this whole process?
1: Yeah, I feel like with boundaries, I like to think of it as uh, sending out a syllabus. You know how it was when you were in high school or college and the teacher or professor gave you a syllabus? This is what you can expect this semester in this course. By our behavior, we are sending out a syllabus to the people in our lives, what we will allow and tolerate and what we won't allow and won't tolerate. And when we learn, and I'm preaching to myself on this one because I'm terrible at boundaries. I'm, I'm much better than I was five years ago. But when we learn to have healthy boundaries in place, they're not only going to help us, but they're going to help other people because they will know how they can treat us and how they can behave around us and what we will and won't allow. It works for everybody. And, and it betters our relationships when we have clear, healthy, you know, not totally, you um, out of the, the world boundaries where we won't help anyone. Like I don't wanna ever make it sound like we shouldn't love and help and serve and please other people at times, we should. But it's knowing when we're doing it for God and when we're doing it just to be liked. And so having those boundaries in place kind of helps us ourselves to not cross them and to to not kind of veer off into the people-pleasing lifestyle again because we've we've put some different parameters in place.
3: Give us an example of of what a boundary would be like here in this context.
1: Well, let's go back to our cell phones. You know, um, I taught people how to treat me with, with my cell phone the first time I had one. You know, I was just tethered to the thing. It was like a fourth or fifth appendage, right? And so mm-hmm. I had to learn to set some boundaries. And so people in my life now know, unless it's an emergency, I'm not going to text you back until after 5 p.m. when work's done. And it might not be after until after 6pm, when dinner is also done. So that's just a boundary, I'm not going to pick up, I'm not going to put out your fire, that you started yourself, your emergency, you know, because of a lack of planning on your part doesn't now mean an emergency on my part that I've got to run and rescue you. I'll be polite, and I will be uh, helpful as I can, when I'm done with my workday. So don't expect me to text back, at 11 o'clock, and it's hard sometimes because we all have different lifestyles, and there are some people that have a lot more free time than you do, and so they just think it's strange when you aren't, you know, playing around on YouTube and watching videos and texting them right back. They don't realize what's really going on on the other end of that phone that you have a job or that you're caring for young children or whatever it is that has you tied up, and so just putting some kind of boundary. I actually have a friend who. She only answers emails on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. She only responds to social media messages on Tuesday or Thursday. She has a lot of boundaries in place. Mine just basically is, you're not going to hear from me until after the work day is done.
3: Yeah. I'm thinking again of pastors. Uh, you know, we can set a boundary that on Tuesday nights, we're going to have a date night with our wives. And if the... The whole church knows that. They're less likely to call us on Tuesday night, unless it's an emergency, you know, and then just to even say that to our congregation, just, just so you all know, you know, unless it's a dire emergency, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be responding on Tuesday night. And I think people accept those things when we share them in the right context and with the right spirit. When it comes to saying no to others, you claim that, and I'm quoting here, you can still say yes to a friendship while also saying no to their request. What does that look like?
1: Well, you know, for so many years, I bought the lie that if I didn't say yes to my friends all the time, that my friendship with them was in jeopardy. Like, maybe not that they were going to totally dump me and not want to be my friend anymore, but that there might be some awkwardness going forward in our friendship. But one of the biggest lessons I learned from that summer of necessary and no was that my true friends were still going to be my true friends. There were some people that didn't understand when I told them that summer, I can't help you this summer. I can't volunteer at this or I can't do that. Some of them split the scene because you know what? They weren't really my true friend. They were just hanging around me because I said yes all the time and I helped them, you know, lighten their load. But those friends who were my true friends, they cared about my mental health and my emotional well being and they wanted me to build some margin in my day. And I've learned with those friends that if they ask me something and I really feel like it's not my call, it's not what I'm supposed to do. I don't feel the Lord leading me this way. I can honestly say no to their request, but still say yes to the friendship by saying, but I'll help brainstorm who you might, who else you might ask, or I will certainly be praying that you find the right person, you know, for that job. I can still, you know, love them and care about them and ask how that situation's going, that project they're working on, whatever. I can still say yes to the friendship, but say no to that request. I don't have to always say yes.
0: This is Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Our guest is another New York Times bestselling author, Karen Eman, author of When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. It's our featured resource at lovelanguages.com.
2: Karen, just before the break, you said that if it's really your friend, you can say no and maybe you can help them, you know, problem solve or whatever. But what you just described there was that's really hard to have the the wherewithal to say, I can't do what you're asking me to and I'm still your friend. I hope you'll like me. I hope you'll still like me. That's kind of a vulnerable place to be, isn't it?
1: It is. And what I found Helps the most is to just be very, very honest and say, everything within me right now wants to say yes. Like my heart totally wants to just jump right in and help you and say yes to your request. But I know my limitations. I know, you know how much white space I have in my schedule, and I know that this request it it deserves the attention and the focus from somebody that really can do it. And that's just not me. So it's not going to be good for me if I say yes. And it's really not going to be good for you because I can't give this project the focus and attention it deserves. So even though my heart wants to say yes, because I love you so much and you're such a great friend, I know I have to say no.
3: Yeah, and if they're a true friend, they will understand that. Yes. Now, there are some women, uh, maybe men as well, who feel that being nice to people requires that you have to be available 24-7, especially if it's friends and family in a crisis, you know. So how can that uh, constant availability actually hinder the other person's growth.
1: You know, I've actually had this happen two or three times in the last 15 to 20 years in my life. And it was always when I had a friend who was going through a very rough and unwanted divorce. Um, Everything within them wanted to stay married. But in all three situations, there was infidelity on their partner's um, part. And they came to me. For comfort and for advice and for prayer and for a listening ear, and with all of them, there they wanted to kind of give the blow by blow play by play of what was happening, and so they'd call me and say, "Oh, then this happened, and then they did this, and they said that, and they were calling me I had one friend that was calling me multiple times a day, and I felt like it was the right thing to pick up the phone because you know they were in a crisis, they needed help, they needed a listening ear, but I finally realized. That I was preventing them from running to God, the place they should have been headed in the first place, because I was picking up the phone and they were running to me. And I was just giving them a little temporary Band-Aid that fell off. They needed to learn to run to God. And so I had to put some boundaries in place and I had to have a tough conversation with one of them and say, I love you so much, but this isn't healthy for you. It's not healthy for me. I really think you need some professional counseling. And so they started going to a counselor and it got so much better for them because I'm no licensed, trained counselor. But I think sometimes we step in and we prevent people from running to the Lord because we're right there to rescue them.
3: Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes God uses that counselor because that counselor's trained to do what they need at the moment. Exactly. Now, you have a grid or a system that you use to determine uh, who and what to say yes to. Uh, how do you discern when to say No.
1: I kind of ask myself some questions whenever I'm asked to take on a responsibility or to help with a project or take on a role. And the first one, you know, kind of is going to sound like a Sunday school answer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's, have I been deliberate to pray about not just this decision, but about daily decisions in my life? Have I been deliberate to, you know, get up in the morning and say, Lord, today, a lot of requests are going to come my way. Perhaps, please let me know. Tap me on the heart when they're coming from you and I should say yes and help me to know when they're not mine to do and I need to just boldly and politely say no. I, of course, you know, ask myself, is this violate anything laid out in scripture? We don't want to do that. So we need to, you know, make sure we're thinking that through. And have we taken time to ponder and pray about this specific request, almost laying out a, a, Pro and con list. You know, like we learned when we were younger. You know, on the left-hand side of the page, the all the pros of saying yes to this, and on the right-hand side, all the cons. Sometimes just having it there in writing helps us. I also ask myself, you know, if I've really factored in what saying yes to this commitment is going to do to my other roles and commitments, especially to my family. So Mm -hmm. whenever we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. Because if we're going to spend two hours. week on this new project well that's two hours we have to say no to something else so factor that in also you know ask yourself might you be able to grant the request if you did delegate something else that's already on your plate sometimes we are being called to take on a new task but we first need to take something else off of our plate and then also i like to just remind myself you know ask myself have i solicited input from others who i know have my best interest at heart, and they will be very prayerful with me to pray about this request because sometimes they can see angles of it that I can't see myself.
3: Mm. Sometimes they also know things about the situation, the other person's situation that you may you may not know too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So y- your book uh, offers seven quote stop it statements for recovering people pleasers. Would you share your favorite one, or maybe a two or three of those?
1: Sure. Well, one part of people pleasing is what we've been talking about a lot. It's saying yes to someone because we want to please them. But the other side of it sometimes is that we should be saying yes to something God's calling us to do, but we're so worried about the reaction of someone else and whether or not they approve of it that we sort of say no to God. So one of these stop it statements, I like to think of them as uh, one, uh, little one sentence sermons I preached myself, is this, that you don't need that person's permission to do God's will. If God is really calling you to do something, I have a friend that's walking through this with being called to foster care, but she knows her family does, you know, her extended family thinks she's So She doesn't need their permission to do God's will, if that's what God is really calling her to do. So that's one of them. You don't need their permission to do God's will. And then another one that I preach to myself often is this. My, my friend Becky said this to me years and years ago. Don't take on more than you can pray for. And what I mean mm. by that is with every new responsibility that comes your way, you're going to have the task. You're going to have the people involved with the task. Those people are going to have things going on in their life that you might want to be attentive to and praying for. So if you can't take on the time it's going to take to pray about your roles and tasks and responsibilities and the people you're involved with, then maybe you shouldn't take on the task. So don't take on more than you can pray for.
3: Well, Karen, I think those are extremely helpful. And I, I hope that our listeners are going to want to get your book because those are the kind of things that are very, very practical. You invite women to take time to stop the siphoning of their souls. What does that mean to you?
1: I feel that it's when we are constantly trying to make everyone happy. We're caring so much about other people's emotions and and their responsibilities and their tasks and making sure that that we rush in there and help them that we don't realize that in doing that, we are neglecting our own souls, our own emotions, our own, you know, capacity that we have. And so we need to not put ourselves first, but we need to realize that sometimes we're draining our very souls because we're chasing this people-pleasing or chasing being liked. And instead we need to know when to say yes and how to say no and make sure we're doing what God calls us to, which does not drain our souls. It actually energizes us and it makes us feel that we're doing our part.
3: Karen, our time is almost gone, but can you say just a word about the role model of Jesus as it pertains to this topic?
1: Yeah, you know, when you think about Jesus, he had lots of people in his life and he had a packed agenda while he was on earth, but he didn't seem to get tripped up. You know, he knew when it was time to pour into his 12 disciples or when it was time to speak to the crowds or when he needed to pull alone, you know, back and be alone with God or maybe just spend time with his his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He seemed to be able to do this. Without getting exhausted and without, you know, over serving, if that can Mm. um, be said. And I think it's because he had such a close relationship with the Father. He knew when to pour in and when to draw back. And we need to do the same thing. You know, he never diverted from his mission, but he knew how to interact with people and, and when it was okay to just be alone and be with the Lord.
3: Yeah, it's a good observation. Well, Karen, thanks for being with us today. Uh, I think that this book and the message is going to touch a lot of people's lives because I think a lot of people uh, wrestle with this. And all of us, to some degree, wrestle with it. When to say yes and when to say no. So thank you for what you have done in terms of your own life and sharing this concept with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
3: Once again,
2: the title of Karen Eamon's latest is When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable. How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. We have it linked at the website, 5lovelanguages.com. Again, go to 5lovelanguages.com.
3: And next week, why you need to stop striving and surrender.
0: Don't miss the conversation with Erica Wiggenhorn in one week. Our thanks to Janice Todd and Steve Wick for their work behind the scenes. Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman is a production of Moody Radio in association with Moody Publishers, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.